So I was describing to my wife how it's already starting to get warm in this closet, and it's not even summer yet. So she's, she turns to me and says, well, just take your clothes off. I said, yeah, but I'm recording a video podcast. Welcome to David Narrates Books, where David narrates books. Welcome back to the show. This is David Sheely. I'm narrating some books today, and I think the plan for today is we're going to read a snippet from Chapter 4 of Dance of the Nutcracker by Paul Thompson. Uh, we're also going to do a, just a snippet out of Chapter 5 as well. And then I'm going to do something a little different. I'm going to read uh, just a little, little bit out of another book that I have just started reading recently. I really enjoy it, called Crazy Faith. And uh, that's written by Michael Todd. He is a pastor at a, a large church in Tulsa, Oklahoma. And we actually got to hear him speak at Life Church uh, here also in, in Oklahoma City. Not too long ago, a couple of months ago, and he's a very dynamic speaker. He's hilarious, um, and so he's very passionate about this topic of faith and and how to utilize that in your life. So I'm going to read just a little bit. Uh, hopefully, you'll find it encouraging. All right, let's jump in. Here's chapter four, the first part of chapter four. I'm not reading the whole chapter. Remember, that's the deal. If you want the whole chapter, you've got to uh, get the audiobook. That's that's why we're here. This is the purpose of this podcast is to, to get you excited. All right? Okay. Here's a little bit from chapter four. Chapter four. The grueling process of chipping rock came to an end as the foundation for the new mansion took shape. The following weeks were spent smoothing surfaces with chisels. It was not easy work, per se, but not physically demanding. Word about Fritz's escape spread as men passed Fritz. He heard them ask, Today? In the ventriloquistic manner they had all used to communicate at the site. Men were betting bites of food on when he would try, but Fritz refused to answer their questions with anything other than, Soon. Nico never talked about it. He kept himself and even ignored minor disrespect from other prisoners. Bluden and Dee were quick to demand obeisance, but Nico waved them off. The game horns blew twice after Anthony's departure, and Fritz didn't stand to salute the fallen either time. While the others limped home with fresh wounds, he strode unharmed into his cell. Each night, after the Lignamores had closed the cell doors and sailed off into the moonlight, Fritz got out of bed, stretched, and practiced the series of kicks, blocks, and punches Borda had drilled into him. It resulted in a more tired but limber morning. Each swing of the hammer pumped new hate into his veins, and he repeated his plan until he thought madness had overtaken him. All right, that's a little snippet from chapter four. What's going to happen? He's in a prison environment, and now he's trying to concoct a plan to escape. He's, he's thinking, the wheels are turning, and other people are now asking, when is this going to happen? 
So you're going to have to listen to find out. All right. Here is a snippet from Chapter 5. Chapter 5. The gleaming marble interior of Malregent's waiting room was a stark contrast to the dusty, filthy arena. The prison guards shoved Fritz to the floor in front of Malregent. He caused... Sorry. See, in the real book, I get to cut that out. He caught himself with his hands. The chains hanging from his shackled wrists left a black smudge next to the grimy handprints on the polished tile. Malregent sat in a large chair lined with cushions. To his right and left stood two Lenumore, stoic, but with fingers extended into sharp points. Behind the arbulent guards, dressed in revealing costumes and leaning on the throne in various poses, three women with dark eyes and red lips stared at Fritz with hazy disinterest. The officer bowed low. Your Majesty, the prisoner you requested. Leave us, Malregent commanded, and the soldiers nearly tripped over themselves to exit the room. Well, 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 Malregent tutted when the men had left the room. You have caused quite a problem. Fritz said nothing. What is your name? Malregent demanded. Drosselmeyer. I think that's where we're going to stop. Give you just a little, little taste. But not too much. All right. In this section, I'm going to read just a section out of Michael Todd's Crazy Faith. This section is entitled Childlike Trust. And this, uh, I'm going to read a little bit more to you than what I did from the uh, Dance of the Nutcracker. But I think you'll like this. At the beginning of Matthew 18, the disciples come to Jesus and ask, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? That's from verse 1. If I were Jesus, I would have replied, Are you serious? Why do you even want to know that? Aren't you glad Jesus is always so patient with us when we're insecure and trying to compete with each other instead of simply having faith that God has a great plan for each one of us? Jesus begins his response to his disciples' question by pointing to a little child. Not an astute, wise, experienced, or prolific adult, but a baby. I tell you the truth, he says, unless you turn from your sins and become like little children, you will never get into the kingdom of heaven. That's from verse 3. He continues with his teaching moment. The only way to become the greatest in the kingdom is to become as humble as a little kid. Verse 4. He is trying to get these grown-up religious men with little faith to understand this about children. They trust first. They are born with baby faith and act on it regularly. They believe what adults tell them because they have no past experiences that fuel their fears. There are no conditions on their trust. This is how God wants us to trust in Him and His plans for us. When my children are hungry, they don't ask how much money is in the bank account or whether we have time to feed them. They trust that as parental providers, Natalie and I have already prepared something for them to eat. 
They don't fear that they won't have a place to sleep tonight. They trust their parents to take care of that. I have resolved to be a loving, active father, so I make sure my children are taken care of. If they need or want anything, they are not afraid to ask me for it. I've been blessed with an amazing earthly father who isn't perfect, but does his best through Christ to show me what the love of our Heavenly Father looks like when it's manifested on earth. It's pretty easy to trust my dad because when he says something, I can take it to the bank. Do you have that kind of faith in your Heavenly Father? Take a moment to think about yourself as a child and let me ask you a personal question. Did you trust your earthly father? What you experienced was unique to you and has shaped you in many ways, and maybe you haven't realized how your relationship with your earthly father directly affects how you view or experience your heavenly father today. I recognize not everyone has a dependable dad. Perhaps your story is similar to my friend Jenna's. Her dad passed away when she was 11 years old, just as she was about to enter the adolescent years that would shape the woman she'd eventually become. Jenna spent years trying to fill the void of losing her father by putting her trust in men who were more like selfish, immature boys who took advantage of her over and over again. This pattern continued into adulthood, where she endured broken and abusive situationships that left her feeling as unprotected and alone as that 11-year-old girl. She had a hard time developing committed relationships with anyone, secretly fearing that each person might leave her the way her dad had. She knew it wasn't his fault that he was gone, but she still partially blamed him for not being there for her. Maybe you identify more with my bro Nick, who was almost an adult the first time he met his biological father. Growing up, he couldn't help but notice how many of his friends had both of their parents around for special occasions. His mom never talked much about his father, except to say that she and Nick were better off without him. Even so, Nick asked about him all the time. Finally, on Nick's 16th birthday, his dad called the house. It turned out that he had been living just outside town for ten years, but had never made the effort to visit town. Top it all, to top it all off, he was married and had a daughter, meaning Nick had a sister. Nick was crushed to find out to find this out, but he felt hopeful that he could develop a relationship with his father. He invited him to award ceremonies, birthday parties, and holiday get-togethers, and his father always promised he was coming. But the only thing Nick could trust about him was that he would let him down by not showing up. If you had an absent father or a parent who fell significantly short of giving you the love, care, provision, and attention that you craved as a child, it may be hard to have childlike faith in a father you cannot physically see. Psychological studies tell us that we human beings tend to associate the attributes of our primary father figure, or lack thereof, with God. If you couldn't count on your earthly father, it's harder, statistically speaking, for you to put your trust in God. You may have a tendency to correlate the earthly dad who never showed up to your birthday parties and soccer games with a heavenly father who won't come through when you need him. Yet this couldn't be further from the truth. God is actually omnipresent, which means present always and everywhere. 
It's just that he's invisible. And it's more difficult for someone who already has a hard heart to have faith in something or someone he can't physically see. One of the names of Jesus is Emmanuel, which means God is with us. That's from Matthew 1.23. The real question is, are we aware of his presence? What I'm asking you to do in this moment is to allow the Holy Spirit to soften your heart so you can forgive your earthly father and let God be Abba, Daddy, your Father in heaven who will never die, never disappoint you, never leave you, and never reject you. God is the Father who has been with you all along. Don't allow unforgiveness to harden your heart to the only love that can heal you. We may not be able to see God himself in the flesh, but we can see his provision, feel his love for us, and live surrounded by the grace and favor he gives his children. God is a loving, active Father. He never made a promise that he didn't keep, and his word is full of great and precious promises. He wants to help you learn to trust again and to lean on him like a little child should be able to lean on her dad. He knows that you may not be ready to run full speed into his arms yet, and he's okay with that. He just wants you to take a few baby steps in faith. You can start by simply acknowledging him. All it takes for him to turn around an impossible situation is a mustard seed of baby faith. So that's just a, a small section out of Crazy Faith by Michael Todd. Uh, again, just a, like I said, a real dynamic speaker, um, funny guy. If you haven't seen him or, or, or heard of him before, I would encourage you to look him up on YouTube, Michael Todd, and just watch one of his sermons. I think you will be uh, both entertained and, and very much encouraged. Well, I think that's all we have for today's episode. Uh, you got a little sneak peek at chapters four and five of Dance of the Nutcracker, as this guy here. And uh, I read a little section out of Crazy Faith. I'll knock my computer over. Sorry. <laughs> All right. I, I think that's it. We're going to see you in the next one. Thanks. Bye.